to the Wildlands. I'm Matt. And I'm David. And today's episode is sponsored by West End Sports, your five-star Yamaha dealer in northeastern New Brunswick, where you are sure to find something that revs your heart. And today we'll be talking about... Nymphing, the underwater treasure, as well as... Early season flies, it's what's on the menu. And make sure to stay tuned till the end of the episode where we'll give you the insight on our product of the day. So let's jump right into it. So pretty much, this is what? This is episode eight, if I'm not mistaken. Eight of season two. Yes. Ten if you ten if you count the or the French or eleven ones. if you count the <laughs> yeah. French ones, but it's the eighth English version uh, episode. Exactly. This and, season. Yeah, and another great thing about today's episode is this is an episode that was suggested suggested sorry by one of our viewers, one of our listeners, which is awesome. Which is actually pretty cool. And once again, like we've just proved a second time, actually maybe more than a second time. That's true. We listen and we bring out the information that you guys are looking for. Uh, and this very in, this very topic, which is nymphing, was something that they wanted to know what it was about. Uh, we don't necessarily have that much experience in nymphing, so we had to go into the books and read. <laughs> exactly, which made it interesting for us as well because, I mean, now exactly. that I've, I've looked into it and learned it, um, I'll be totally honest. I don't know why I've never done this more before. I know, and, and it's like, it's the kind of thing that you you hear, uh, you know, a lot about, and it's actually kind of funny because I do have a side note to this, uh, that is similar to nymphing, and it's literally like a very old style uh, type of fly fishing, and we'll get into that later, but it's it's something that I want to bring up, and it just just by you mentioning it, it kind of like clicked in my head. I went like, that's right. I did learn about this, but I just never did it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, no, definitely. So a lot of people are wondering, what is nymphing? I I mean, nymphing is pretty much just going after the larvae state or that little kind of cocoon type of bug that you see always at the bottom of the water. Like, I don't know, Matt, if you've like, when you're wading through the water, you see a lot of those all stuck to rocks on the bottom there. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I'm the only I mean, one I've, that's I've seen noticed that. them before. Yeah, no, I've noticed them before. I've been curious about it, uh, but never really had the info on on how to fish it. I mean, obviously, I was I was aware that the trout or whatever species of fish you're going after uh, will be eating not only uh, things coming from above, but things that are in the water. So exactly. I mean, it, it was kind of obvious that it was probably a very productive way to fish. But just again, the lack of info on uh, on how to do it, and uh, I'm I'm glad this episode is both good for for myself and uh, the listeners. Yeah, and and it's kind of like I always looked at it kind of like in a in not a taboo way, but like you I tell yourself intimidating. Like, yeah, exactly, because there there is quite a lot of like moving parts. <laughs> yes, compared to just regular fly fishing, where you have your tippet, your leader, and your your straight fly line. Uh, be it floating, sinking, or whatever you want, but then exactly in nymphing, it's there's it's a it's a completely different technique because you have yeah. I mean you can add indicators that they call them. Uh, you, you need to get your leader line, your regular tippet line. Uh, you have a weighted uh, a weighted front with your flies. You can go with more than one fly, which I'm which definitely that, that, don't see myself me, casting that. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 my thing. When I I would have never thought about multiple flies, and when I I noticed this, I was telling myself 
now how am I going to be able to cast this out there? Because I mean, <laughs> you know, have a hard enough time with one. <laughs> Imagine well, three of them it. flying you know, by your face. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's one thing is, is having them flying by. But again, you know, your the fly uh, casting uses the the momentum or the uh, the flex of your your rod to to yep. load it up and and get yes. that out there. But where you have three, um, um, or or two or three or whatever, is it, it has to create some kind of a, a drag or a, a slack in your line, which I I can't wait to try and and cast out there. Maybe it's way easier than I believe, but mm-hmm. in my mind I see that being a challenge. And and not just that, there are, like, there are a few. Um... Like when we're talking about the the type of rods, we're used to a certain type of rod and a nymphing rod to those that are, let's say, new to it, uh, like us. uh, What I've learned is a nymphing rod is not the same as a regular or standard fly rod. And some examples of this, they'll go with like, let's say a TFO drift fly rod, Uh, TFO being the, you know, brand, the brand of it. And they'll go with something like they'll go with a nine foot but a very low weight so a three weight nine foot rod right and the mm-hmm. advantage that they say about the tfo uh drift fly rod is that you're actually looking at a rod that you can you can extend the tip of the rod like yeah I, I without changing that. it you can extend it to let's say rather it being than a nine foot you can go all the way to say a 12 foot uh you know type of rod because Nymphing is is not necessarily you're casting far. And this is where I'm going to come into my next one. But yeah, nymphing isn't necessarily like you're not going to go for your 30-foot cast. You're going to go for something. You're just dropping it almost in front of you. And I imagine most of it is actually based off of a roll cast. Probably. Like roll cast it upstream and then let it drift. Like let's say on a 45 and then let it drift all the way down to like your your opposing side yeah and and just let it bounce off the bottom the whole way i watch some videos and uh like there are probably more proper techniques of casting but the the videos i did watch were they were casting normally they were roll casting they were doing it kind of both ways Mm -hmm. and i believe that uh one advantage there is to having a longer rod for uh nymphing from what i saw is you really have to restrict the amount of your actual fly line that is in, in contact with the uh, water surface. Yep. Uh, because that is what's going to greatly affect your drift. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, the, the less fly line you have uh, touching the surface of the water, the more control you will have over it. So your rod being a little bit longer with a short cast, uh, from what I was getting, your you keep your rod tip very high. And, uh, you know, you, you try to have that that uh, fly line off the water as much as possible, and you follow downstream with the drift at the same speed with your rod tip as it's going down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were even saying most times you can set the hook and uh, bring in the fish without reeling, really just by stripping your line. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw that too. Which I, found, which I found interesting because, I mean, that that's going to be... I feel like that's going to be a, a, a satisfying way to fish. You know, you're going to really feel you're going to connect with that fish when you're when you're bringing them in. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's funny also, like when you're saying not a lot of line out, because what we mentioned earlier on, an indicator, 
is because, and one of the main reasons that they came out with an indicator, and for those that don't know what it is, it's literally like a, a yellow or orange fluorescent or flashed type of ball or indication Float. Device. Not float. not necessarily a float, but it, it will yeah. float. It doesn't help it will your float line a to little float, bit. but yeah, exactly. But it allows you, since you can fish at a different depths, to better understand, because what happens is when you're nymph fishing, you're not necessarily going to get the same type of strike that you would when you're dry fly fishing or when you're streamer fishing, because there you're yeah. going to have a fish that is aggressive and will come and attack it and hit it mm -hmm. hard. And then that's when you're going to start, you know, you can set the hook because you, you've seen the action happen. Whereas in nymphing and you're just lightly drifting across the bottom or even faster, all depending on the currents that you're using, but you know, it's drifting across the bottom. That fish is just going to pick it up like regular food. It's not, it's exactly. going to pick it up it's just as gonna drifting it up food. And, exactly. Yeah. So as easily as it can go and get it, it can easily spit it back out. And that's yep. why a lot of people use indicators. In it. And I would suggest that those that are starting start with indicators because you'll be able to understand and better understand the feel when a trout hits that line and know, yep, there's something on the end just by the movement yep. of the indicator or even the feel that you'll get at the end of the rod. Exactly. And uh, another thing too, that uh, we, we actually were talking about this thing, that it's it's a funny and good term. As Matt was saying, you, you follow you follow your fly downstream. Mm -hmm. and there's a big, there's a, there's a term and it's called rutitis. <laughs> and what rutitis <laughs> is, is pretty much saying if you stay in the same spot and you're not catching anything for 20, 30 minutes, you're suffering Move. from rutitis, <laughs> <laughs> which means you're I'm just rooted there and you're not moving. And, and we actually are pretty used to that. <laughs> yeah. And, and now that I have that term, uh, I'll be out on the river and, and accusing, certain other fishermen that are with me <laughs> of, uh, of that. Yep. Yeah. I have a feeling we'll be doing the same thing. We'll be, we'll be looking yeah. at, at a buddy fishing in one spot in one pool for the longest time. I'll be like, yep, he's got it. <laughs> he's got it. He's down he's with suffering the from it. There's no vaccine yep. for that. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> but, uh, no, definitely. And one of the reasons too, like, and it's kind of like an eye opener when I don't know for you, Matt, when we were looking at the information about it and all that, but it's kind of a strange eye opener where you go like, you know what? It is so true <laughs> when you think I know. about it. It's like, like, why have I not done this before? I know. And and I can understand why they say it is literally probably the most productive way to catch fish in fly fishing in the fly fishing industry. Of and course. I can understand why. <laughs> now that I read yeah, about it, exactly. I'm like well, I've been blind for the longest time. It, exactly. It, it nymphing in a it, to to put it in layman terms, nymphing is pretty much putting your fly imitating a larvae state or one of those cocoon states that are on the bottom of the water just before the hatching, and mm -hmm. this type of cocooning that is done on the bottom of rocks happens any time. You don't have to match the hatch because in reality. Yeah. What is there is even before the hatch ever really happens. That's so, it. And hatches happen all year round. <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, the, the weirdest thing with that is, is, you know, oh, you know, the hatch is on right now. It's going to be great for dry fly. Yeah, okay. But do you, you know, I, I was blind to think that the trout didn't eat other than when that happened. Yeah, you know exactly. What I mean? Like, like they, they're there. Oh, they only they're, feed they're feeding all the time. Exactly. They feed Why on whatever passes by. 
yeah, why did I not think of imitating that? Not only, and I mean, I'll be guilty of it. I like the, I like the, the drive fly like everybody else, yep. uh, where, you know, you get that, that nice sipping action when they come up to grab it or the, the violent attack that they, you know, they smack that fly, which is, you know, the guilty part of most fly fishermen. Yep. And, and my biggest worry of the reason why I've never done it, uh, uh nymphing, was actually because I was always scared to get snagged on the bottom. I was like, man, this, this is just going to snag up on everything. It's not going to be enjoyable. Yep. Uh, but definitely now that I know, uh, you know, short cast, less line, high tip, I'm going to be able to keep that up uh, a lot more. Yep. So, you know, I, I guarantee you I will be going to my local fly shop very soon yeah, and I ordering myself <laughs> some nymphs for what we're we're gonna be about what three weeks away from the season right yep. now. Oh when yeah. this comes out, so oh, yeah. uh, I will definitely be in the in the market for that. No, definitely, and uh, like just to give you guys tips as well. Like we've talked about what nymphing is and and different things like that. Now, different tips that that I'd like to you know kind of give out on this. Uh, is one of them, like, you got to think of it this way. As we mentioned earlier on, trout always feed. And trout, yes. being a creature of habit, meaning they feed most of the time always on the same things. Now, our default or our, you know, downfall that you and I both had, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, is that we always kind of just thought to ourselves, when the hatching, when, you know, when there would be a hatch or something like that, that's when the trout would feed. But mm-hmm. Not necessarily. Now, these type of, you know, cocoons or, or larvae that are at the bottom that are attached to rocks, they'll dislodge, they'll move around in the current, and that's where fish, I mean, they're not always jumping out of the water, they're always in no. the water, mm-hmm. and they're always eating. Now, one of the tips that I would have to give on this is that not necessarily do you always have to go with the larger style. Trout are not always going to be the kind of fish that go after the bigger, you know, the bigger bait. Uh, yeah. Smaller sometimes is better, where... <laughs> Where you could go for, say, a 16, 18 size yeah. rather than a 10 and a 12. And by doing this, you can also, like, and I'm not saying don't do both, but one of the bigger advantages of nymphing is changing your patterns. Mm-hmm. If, for instance, you're always using smaller patterns all the time and you're seeing that it's not really, you know, working, you can actually change it up. Like we said, you can put more than one fly on the line. So you can have yeah. maybe... Uh, two twelves and one sixteen, or you could have, That's right. uh, you know, different types of sizes that'll change up that variation, and at the same time imitate a little bit of what's in the side of the water at that moment. You know, like yeah. you can pretty much see this right when you get into the water. You look down, and you're gonna start looking at the rocks, and uh, I would say nine out of ten times you're gonna see some. <laughs> you're oh, gonna definitely. See some larvae already stuck to the rocks on the bottom, or the shells yep. that are left behind, and yep. that gives you a good idea of what to use. Yes. And uh, like you say, I mean, shorter cast is a lot better. You got a lot more control over what you see and a lot more control over the feel of it. Uh, And also, you know, you're you're looking at same sort of technique of what I would be looking for from what I got on this uh, for where to cast these flies out. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, uh, the trout will be laying in the area of the river that has less current for them making them spend less energy. So, you know, you're looking for, for structure maybe that they're right behind. And 
you're going to be casting this into the water column and they're just waiting for it to go right by them and then they'll they'll gulp it up so you know like you said creature of habit if you find their their resting areas you can probably put these flies just as i would do with the dry fly have that come with a dry fly it's coming above them having you know a nymph it's having coming in the water column passing by them so they can just easily move over to the side grab it go back into their calm area so you know uh definitely be looking for uh for your river structure your river your stream um layout to yeah. help your uh, help your success with this absolutely uh what i'd also like to mention another little tip that i'm going to give out and you guys are probably wondering okay yeah nymph fishing this is what i got to do so on and so forth but what do i use uh and i'll give you guys some ideas of what i uh, these are actually things that i've seen <laughs> and that i have in my tackle but just actually never really <laughs> properly use them okay. uh, but like these great ideas you have first of all my that i would say is the one i've seen the most often is the hair's ear nymph hairs as in the rabbit you know hairs ear mm -hmm. nymph uh it is really like one of the most common type of nymphs where you kind of have like that that pulled back hair uh the bead front with the pulled back kind of just like quarterway cap and then you have it okay. tied all the way to the far back kind of loosely like uh, really oh yes all, yeah and then you'll have a tail into it just a small like tail you make a body it. with the hair that you fold back is that what you're saying exactly that like you'll yes. take the, the you'll take the feather and you'll just kind of fold it back but only like part ways and mm -hmm. then you'll you'll wrap the rest up with a with you know hairs uh fur and on the back end you'll just have a small tail so there's mm -hmm. no wings to this there's nothing it's just literally the head with a little fold back kind of like shelling it creates that's it because and, uh, again you know we're imitating larvae They're, they have not yet became uh to the the flying state exactly and then another one that we see extremely often and i always kind of found these ones to be like too bare to actually be useful but it's okay. called the zebra midge now okay. the zebra midge is literally just a beaded head a black body that's tied thick from the front and then thinner in the back near the the okay. the, the point of the hook and then you'll use a type of like silver, just kind of like flash that you'll create lines across the body all the way down uh, to the leaving, you know, a little space. And you can use a, a thinner wiring too, like a really thin wire or a okay. thicker type of line that's, you know, will keep its shape. And these ones here, you'll actually use them in sizes 22 to 16. So they're wow. very, very small little flies. Mm -hmm. And they're you've, they're apparently very versatile throughout the entire year. You can use them throughout wow. the entire season, uh, and you will be able to get something off of them. Uh, another one that I find, this is my third and final one that I'm going to say, is the beaded scud. Okay, I've heard of that one. Yes, the beaded scud is actually I <laughs> I have some in my tackle, and I actually learned how to tie them. And I just okay. now realized why. They, they're the way they are. And they actually look a bit like a, um, uh, uh, how would I call that? I used to always call them like a sand, uh, no, wood beetles. Okay, yes. Yeah, uh, or carpenter beetles. And yeah. they got like, like this one here, it's pretty much the feathers folded all the way back across the whole back of it to create the shell. And then you're tying around that 
with let's say loosely uh bottomed hair so it creates like the legs or kind of like the the membranes of it or whatever okay with a beaded front and then you'll have a tail end in the back just a short stubby tail end in the back and a short stubby tail end in the front so it kind of like sticks out on both ends to kind of imitate the i would say the antennae uh, and then the back end is kind of like the rest of the body or the the floating okay. and then you have like the little it, it almost looks like a shrimp fly to be honest okay. with you it looks like a shrimp fly <laughs> okay and it just to give you an idea and this one right here you don't go into a high color scheme with it. Like most of the ones that I've actually mentioned are either in fully just black with silver. Uh, the beaded scud is going to be in a very drab, light pale color. Um, and these are all kind of like, and same thing with the, um, with the uh, Harris ear nymph that you're going to go as well into a more of a drab type of color, but your tail end will be in an orange style color. So it's a little bit okay. different uh, compared to the other ones. But these are all wingless. Like there are no wings to these things. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. again, uh, I'm seeing that to be kind of the normal because as soon as you, you're adding wings to things, you know, it, it'll be from the hatch. So. Yep, you're going for a hatch on that one. But no, definitely. So that that pretty much sums up what we know or uh, what I know of what we have fishing. begun to learn yeah exactly what we have begun to learn like we're we're covering it for our viewer we're trying to give you as much information as we possibly could gather yep definitely. <laughs> because we're new at this one too this uh, this yep. was a ball this was like a curveball for us and uh, but it was very I, I absolutely enjoyed it <laughs> yep no uh i really liked it and uh you know what maybe maybe we can say we'll do a like a part two after we get to uh, to do some nymph fishing. How about that? Oh, yeah. I'd love to do that. I'd, Perfect. This, that would actually be something that would be really cool uh, to do a part two in this and, and to yes give you guys what our experience of our first try on nymphing was like. And we could yep. even do like a side-by-side, -side, do like nymphing versus, you know, dry fly. Or, yeah, of course. You know, and I think that would be a really good topic for one of our, our next, maybe in season three or... Or maybe yeah, the end season, of season three two. will probably yeah end of season two to beginning of season three we'll have uh we'll be able to have some comparison. Absolutely. So if we jump in now into subject number two, which was what was it, Matt? Early season. It was early season flies. It's what's on the menu. That's right. Uh, so if we jump into that, I'm actually going to let you, Matt, explain a little bit on what you found about and what your take is on this. Uh, as well, well as uh, what kind of flies you use. It, you, you're very dominant in the early season kind of, you know, yeah, feel and my, vibe of, of things. That's it. Uh, I've always kind of, <laughs> you, know, you know, sneaked in late season. <laughs> you're late. That's it. See, for me, uh, most of my trout fishing and fly fishing in general, other than for, for striped bass, uh, happens early season exactly because once the striped bass uh, fishing starts off, I get very busy with bass attacks. So, uh I know, I know and do a lot more of early season. Mm -hmm. And funny enough, uh, you mentioned a, a nymph a while ago that is actually very good for um, early season. It yep. was the zebra midge. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which I, again, you know, uh, heard about. Have some myself as well, and uh, never got to use them 
because I didn't know what I was doing. So, uh, <laughs> that's, you know, I'll, I'll be dead honest. But again, with the early season, I have, I have my favorite. I have like my, my three probably go to early season flies. Uh, I'll share them with you for sure. They're, uh, my number one would be the parachute atoms. Number two is definitely, no, let's parachute atoms is going to be my number two. Number okay. one is the Royal Wolf fly. And the number three would be the muddler minnow. I mean, yeah. I still fish the muddler minnow year round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it is one of my, my early season ones for sure. Yeah. And when we're talking about early season, I mean, you know, we're talking about as soon as we can get out, uh, your early season will be different for, for every region. Uh, our early season sees a lot of high waters, um, which now that I'm, I've learned a little bit more about nymph fishing, I believe would probably be very good. Uh, the trout are going to be down low, probably behind structure, yeah. probably hungry <laughs> from our, our <laughs> winter season. So, uh, definitely early season fly fishing for me is going to have changed now that I know a little bit about this. Yep. And, uh, I know that sometimes we use, like, sometimes people will suggest streamers, too, for early season. Uh, when it comes down to, like, say, salmon or different things like that. Uh, yes. Try to get a little bit lower down. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say for salmon, you know, that that's one of our, our go-tos we usually go to as well. Like the, the yes. you know. But I use, for salmon, for black salmon, you know, uh, when well, I do when we say black salmon, we're talking about, like, landlock. <laughs> well, we're talking about Atlantic salmon that, wintered in the river uh, in fresh water and and they they become you know blackish in color uh still yep. an atlantic salmon just it stayed in the freshwater river all winter so for those yep. of you that did not know <laughs> that's um, what it is <laughs> yeah for for black salmon uh muddler minnow mickey finn i mean mickey finn is is the yep. popular one out there and i mean how do they say that an oldie but a goodie Yep, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's the way I, springtime, my tackle box, if I'm going salmon fishing, will have a bunch of Mickey fins in different sizes, yes. a bunch of muddler minnows in different sizes. Um, there's one as well, I'm trying to think of the name. I, it's something like, a, I know it's you. It's a streamer, it's used all year long, but I've actually had success with it. I'm not sure Spring, if it's the Undertaker. Black I know the Undertaker is a like a thinner body, uh, like a green yeah, thinner type body. body. Yeah, uh, that's it, exactly it might the be one. the Undertaker. It kind of has like a bit of a, a ball on the top of it there on the ball. Uh, yep. Like yeah, okay, it is the Undertaker. That's the one I. <laughs> I mean, and again, now, I think I'm the only one that I've ever seen use the Undertaker in the in the spring. Okay. But hey, I've caught a few, so. Yeah, exactly. If it if it works, then go hey, for it, right? Exactly. But uh no, definitely. And and something like you've you've mentioned and, and I'll stress regardless of uh is don't always stick to the same size. Like you said, you yeah. can change different sizes. The Mickey Finn you can go with larger varieties, smaller yeah, sizes. You know, it mm-hmm. even sometimes if it's not catching on a on a larger Mickey Finn, you go with a smaller one and it might actually work. It just yep, depends. For sure. Just keep yeah, keep a tackle with you and keep, you know, that variety there. Definitely something that uh you know I I'm a victim I of that about. in the summertime. Um yeah. for for dry fly fishing, whether it be for salmon or for trout. Yeah. I will 
sometimes I just end up sticking to the same fly without noticing time going by. I got the same fly on just, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm like, like this summer, uh, last summer, uh, when I went salmon fishing, I was using the same fly and unfortunately to say, okay, you know, as, as me being a fishing guide, both for bass, salmon, everything fishing. All right. Yeah. I was out on a guided fishing trip. This is a side note on this. I was, and this was late season. I was out on a guided fishing trip. The guy that's guiding me does not know I'm a guide, right? Yeah. So he's, you know, telling me where to cast and he's, and I'm letting him do his job, which I would appreciate anybody that's coming out with me, let me do as well. Yeah. And uh, he's telling me to use these flies and this fly and this fly and they're not my go-to fly, right? <laughs> okay. Anyway, so he's, he's assisting the other guy that's with me and I back off, I snip my line, I tie on my go-to fly Second cast, I get a rise. It's like, oh, right, right on. Cast again. Two casts later, I get a hookup, and I, you know, I get to bring in the the only uh, salmon I catch that day. And when he grabs the salmon and releases it, and you know, he takes my fly out, he's like, oh, you changed your fly. Oh, yeah, he said, oh, I've never seen that fly. I've never used it. So, it, it, you know, I'm guilty of saying that I do have my <laughs> go-to's. Yep. And. I, I ended up catching with that one. Might have been luck, yeah. but anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you want you know what? Let, we we talk quite a lot about flies and, and different things like that. How about we uh, we jump into the product of the day on this one? Sounds good, dude. Yeah. So this is actually a special one because this product yes. is actually uh, was was handed to us uh, by. Uh, West End Sports, and thanks yes. to them, they were able to, f- you know, supply us with with a product that we were able to, you know, try, test, and true, and give you guys our review and our well, we'll give you guys our specs, our understanding of it. Uh, we'll also be able to give you guys a lot of information on what this product is, and in fact, this product is a Yamaha product. It is the Yamaha EF twenty two hundred IST generator inverter generator uh it sports the mz8079 cc engine uh from yamaha and it retails at 1499 so that's 1499 canadian and it's it's really uh it's a versatile generator the first thing that i've noticed about it right off the bat is how easily it is accessible in both carrying and functionality on the front dashboard of it. I mean, you have everything that is very easily uh, laid out for you. Everything is it's quickly accessible. Uh, there, there really isn't any like hidden things that are like, oh well, you need to go straight to the manual to like try to figure out where the bleed valve is or something of the sort. It's right there, and it's written in big. So, <laughs> yeah, for those that have hard time seeing. It is a hard thing to miss. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I like the point you had about uh, carrying. Uh, it's the first generator I've seen that actually has two different ways to carry it. I I, I yep. like that. Yeah, they they call it the, uh, the I think it's it's the tri uh, tri as in T R I uh, carrying system, uh, okay. which they have it as let's say two. Two handles, both on the front and the back, which are, I would say, perpendicular to if it was facing towards you. And then you have one larger handle uh, that stands in the center, 
just where Suitista. your actual uh, yeah your your fuel your your game well your fuel gauge is mm -hmm. you'll have a longer handle that is in the center of it and that there is for let's say just side carrying now something that's funny is both matt and i we've described the size of this as a welding suitcase it yes, literally exactly. is the same size as a welding suitcase so just to give you a bit of an idea of that size it's not that big and it does output quite a lot of power so you're mm -hmm. looking at 2200 watts at max capacity and well at max output with an 18.3 amp or 2200 or 18.3 amps the also let's say in continuous running you're looking at 1800 watts at fifth or 15 amps and if you were this now this is why there is the t mm -hmm. the t which is tw their twin tech technology is that you can actually put two of these parallel with a dedicated cable now the cable you, uh, so it's indicated in the user's manual which type of cable that you can use but you can literally put two of them side by side and use them in sync with one another to up your your wattage so you can actually up that all the way up to 25 amps or 30 amps at 3600 watts which is that's pretty impressive double the power and you also have the ability i mean this thing is is great for if you want to use it for let's say uh, charging any type of like say household appliances any type of thing if you're going to use it let's say in your trailer in your your rv or different things like that and you want to power you know you want to be able to charge everybody's got computers now tablets phones everything like that this thing is very safe for those yes. type of electronics they're not going to overload it. it's not going to overload the power on it and it's not going to make you know those things short and there's actually something just to give you an idea of what the engine is in the 79 cc engine it is an air-cooled dual valve four-stroke engine all right uh, it has it boasts like the, the generator itself boasts the coveted yamaha three-year warranty once purchased it has a life let's say a run cycle on a full tank of gas of 10 and a half hours of continuous running which is wow. actually pretty good yeah it, I mean, when we're talking about lightweight, this thing is 55 pounds. 55 pounds for a generator is like, it's light. like Especially one running that many, uh, that many watts, you know? it's uh... Yeah, exactly. And it also has an overload power reset. So let's say, like, on the front of it, when you look at the, the screens, uh, when, when you look at the screen on the front, you have various little, let's say, gauge lights. They go green all the way up, and then at a certain point, if it overloads, it'll go to red. Now, the advantage of this is that you do not have to turn off your generator to reset the power. You have a power reset that is on the generator itself, an overload power reset button that they call, that you can use or that you can activate, which will reset your power to your outlets without having to turn off your generator and then to turn it back on, which... I, it can just continuously run. I think that's a great option for anybody. I mean, it's yeah, for sure. like a breaker panel. You don't Ease of turn use. off all the power in the house just to turn the lights back on. <laughs> yeah. Just to, because the microwave popped the switch. And like it's, yeah. <laughs> you don't do that. And I find it's completely understandable that they don't do it with this one too. That's, that's an awesome mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. uh, another advantage that we have to it is it's quiet running. Now, when I say quiet running is... Once you start it up, you got it at about 57 to 65 decibels, which 
in reality, like I think if it's considered an overload of decibels for somebody's hearing, if I'm not mistaken, is 80 decibels over a time period of I believe it is eight hours or sixty hours or six hours. I if think I'm not they mistaken. recommend earplugs at 110. Exactly. You know. So then there, right then and there, you're already at 50% of that. So you can exactly. understand, it, it's actually very good in terms of decibel rating. So as mentioned, this is our product of the day. You can find this at West End Sports in Bathurst, New Brunswick. And uh, we are very thankful that they were able to, uh, you know, supply us with this generator. Uh Again, like I said, it's a generator that can be used for so many appliances, so many, you know, utilities. It be for your your RV, it be for your camper. Actually, I can use it here for the, the small shed, for the small cottage to be able to light the whole area here and also use it for the, you know, for the, for the electronic use that I have in the plugs that are in here. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's something that's that versatile. Uh, and again, like I said, it's safe for all smaller end electronics as well without overloading your, your, you know, your investments. <laughs> exactly. No, that's it. And, uh, definitely again, uh, when I had it, I know you did the, the bigger review, but I had it here at the house. Um, you know, the, the, the small size, big power, I mean, something that I would not be afraid to have at my house, uh, oh, and yeah. the power go out and I not be home. My wife can handle it. Um, yep. very easy to start. I know I started on the first crank after being exactly. out in the cold, you know, yeah. it, it was great. No, very good. And, and just to give an idea of how small this is, it was able to fit between their two back seats. That's it. Uh, between the driver's seat you, and the passenger seat in the back, I actually could that, fit it there. <laughs> that's it. When Dave dropped it off at my place, he had to leave it in my vehicle, uh, because I was not home at the time and it, it fit directly in the back seat of my Jeep. You know, it, it can't be that bad. Yep. That that is impressive. I, <laughs> yep. So with that said, I'd like to thank West End Sports for supplying us with the generator, uh, with the EF twenty two hundred IST Yamaha generator, and uh, really to you know just be there to support us. I find that's great. It's awesome that uh, we got this backing uh, for the show itself, and also I'd like to thank all the listeners. Uh, especially those that give us comments as well. Uh, I mean, you guys give us ideas. You guys give us, a, you know, the inspiration to continue doing this and have fun doing it as well. So, uh, I mean, with that said, I'd like to sign out on this one and wish everybody a great one. Have a good Cheers. one, guys. Take care.